is my ministry? Oh, oh, what am I about in the kingdom of God? And how can I, how can I fulfill my, my ministry in the name of Jesus? And so this little question is helpful for us. It is a question of ministry that opens the doors to mercy. The story that we're going to, to focus on today is very simple, and it is very familiar to us. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He goes through Jericho, and he hears the cry of a blind man who says, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus responds to him and says, what can I do for you? There's our question. What can I do for you? Can you imagine that? The Lord of heaven and earth asking you what he can do for you? But Jesus says, what can I do for you? And he says, I want to see. So Jesus heals him. Now, that's a simple story. You know, we tell it to our children. It's a very familiar story to us. But there is more to the story than my simple summary. There is a backdrop to this story. If we just look up at verse 33 in the 10th chapter, I think that's where it is, somewhere in there, verse 33, 34. It says, and they were going to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. There was a large crowd that followed him and his disciples, and he was leading the way, walking ahead of him, them, and they are amazed, and they were afraid. Now, we might ask, why? Why are they afraid as they make their way to Jerusalem? Perhaps it's what he has been saying to them that is still ringing in their ears. He had told them in chapter 8, or wherever they were on the road, he said, you know, the Son of Man is going to be rejected by the chief priests and the scribes, and they will kill him. And in three days, he will be raised again. He had said this plainly, and I'm sure there was urgency in his voice, just as much urgency as in Peter's voice when he rebuked Jesus. So maybe it's what he said to Peter that's still ringing in their ears when he says, get behind me, Satan. And then he tells them all that if you want to be first, you must be last. Or if you want to be my followers, you must take up your cross, deny self, and follow me. You know, he had been talking to them about glory. That's what they were going to Jerusalem for, was when Jesus was going to be revealed and made known in his glory. He had been talking to them about the kingdom that was going to come in power. And so they have these ideas in their mind of glory and power. And now Jesus is talking about self-denial. He's talking about death. 
Not just that he's going to die, but they're going to kill him. Shame. This is shame. You know, so there's this mixture within them of glory and shame and honor and denial, you know, and so they are confused. They do not understand. And a second time he says to them, you know, the Son of Man is going to be handed over and they will kill him and in three days he will rise again. And this time the disciples are arguing about who is the greatest among them. Now, can you get this? You know, I've often thought, what in the world are they, how are they basing this? You know, on what are they basing the fact that they are the greatest? You know, as one of them saying, I'm the oldest, so I am the greatest. Another says, he chose me first, so I'm the greatest. He loves me more. I have more boats than you. You know, I have, uh, you know, I make more money than you. I am the greatest. On what basis would you argue that you are the greatest? You know, it just doesn't make sense. What about of self-denial do they not understand? What do they not understand about being last in order to serve one another? And so they make their way to Jerusalem. And they are afraid. And so Jesus takes them aside one more time. And he says to them, and now he tells them the full story. He says, see, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be taken by the scribes and the, the uh, chief priests, and they will condemn him to death. And they will hand him over to the Gentiles. The Gentiles, that is shame. That's not glory and honor. They will hand him to the Gentiles, and the Gentiles will mock him, and they will spit upon him, and they will flog him, and they will kill him, and in three days he will rise again. Well, if he thought he was going to make them feel better, I'm sure he didn't. I'm sure they're still afraid as they make their way to uh, Jerusalem. Do you mind if I stop and say, oh, I forgot something. <laughs> after, the second, after the second passion prediction, when he tells them he's going to suffer and die, he takes a child and puts that child in their midst. The child is the least powerful person in the household. He has no rights. And he takes a child and he puts him in his arms. And then he says to them, whoever welcomes this child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me, welcomes not me, but my Father who is in heaven. So he has reversed the hierarchy. He starts with a child, and he says, quit arguing about who is the greatest. He takes the child and says, whoever welcomes this child welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me 
welcomes my Father who is in heaven. And so all of these things are part of the backdrop to our story. But after that third time there on the road to Jerusalem when he tells them he's going to suffer and die, Peter and James come to him. Now I want you to just listen to the incongruity of what Jesus is saying about his future and what lies ahead of him and the illustrations and the teachings that he's been giving to them about life in the kingdom, if you are my followers. And then the incongruity about their arguing about who is the greatest, the incongruity now of James and John coming to him and saying, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Now, what kind of a question is that or a statement is that? What kind of spirit is that? Is that deny self, take up your cross and follow me? You know, that is a demanding spirit. And perhaps they're still thinking in terms, they are thinking in terms of glory and honor. Because Jesus says to them, now listen to it. He says to them, what can I do? For you. They say, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. And they're in a demanding spirit. Nevertheless, he says to them, what can I do for you? So there's our question. A question of ministry that makes yourself available to whatever they ask. No, no limits. And so they, see, they say, we want you to grant us you know this story as well as I do. One to sit on your right hand and one on your left. When you come in your glory. So they're asking, they're getting the jump on all the other disciples. They've been to their assertiveness training class. And so they're getting the jump on the others. And they say, uh, we want to be secretary of state and what, secretary of defense. You know, two, two of the most powerful people sitting on your right and your left hand when you come in your glory. So how do you think the other disciples responded to this? They were indignant with James and John. And so Jesus had to take them aside. First of all, he told James and John, I cannot fulfill your request. That is not mine to give. So he has to tell them no. He says, what can I do for you? The answer to their request is no. Because first of all, it's not his to grant. But secondly, it is an incongruent request with the kingdom of God and with his mission to give him his life a ransom for many. It is incongruent with what he is all about. And so he says to them, if anyone would be great among you, let him be servant and servant of all. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And so they continue on to Jericho to Jerusalem by way of Jericho. 
and we get to our story. So all of this is the backdrop. All of this is telling us something about what Jesus is about. And don't you just love him? Don't you just love this image of Jesus? And so he, he comes, they go through Jericho. This big crowd and the disciples. Can you imagine that? Have you been in a third world country where you travel on dirt roads or you're going down a hot, dusty place, narrow streets, and, they're all, and you're in a crowd because you're part of a tour group? And this is a crowd that's going through, and Jesus is leading the way. And there are probably children running along be, uh, after them, you know, yelling, Jesus, Jesus. And as they go through Jerusalem, through Jericho, when they come to the outside of the city, there is a man sitting there by the side of the road. His name is Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. And he, when he learns that Jesus of Nazareth is passing through, he cries, Son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowd, many in the crowd, it says, sternly shut him up. You know, this. think about this. Where is he located? He is outside the city gate, sitting at the side of the road. He is blind. He is one of those little ones. You know, he is expendable. He is uh, of no value to them, sitting there begging at the side of the road. And so they try to shut him up. You know, I think about this and I think, do they not connect what Jesus has been saying to them about serving, about welcoming the little ones, the powerless ones? You know, but now this is just someone to be discarded. You know, he's the guy that sits there every day. You know, we see him on the corner of Coors and Montano holding his sign that says, anything will help. But they, we see it so often we hear these loud cries so often that it means nothing to us anymore and we drive on by. And so that's sort of what we're there at. You know, this blind beggar, we know who he is. He's always here yelling and crying about something, wanting money. And so he cries all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And now an amazing thing happens. Jesus hears his cry. There had to have been a lot of noise, a lot of clamor in this crowd that was with him. But he hears that solitary voice at the side of the road crying for mercy. And he stops. He's leading the group, but he stops. And he says, bring him to me. Don't you love that? Bring him to me. You know, he didn't say, here, take him this and drop this in his basket. He didn't say, go shut him up. He didn't say, um, see what you can do for him. You know, just give him a few pennies. He'll be fine. 
he said, bring him to me. Now, all of a sudden, the crowd is interested in this man. They see him as someone now who is important in, to, in the eyes of Jesus. So they go to him and they say, I love what they say, be of good cheer. You know, like, cheer up, things are going to be all right. So they say, be of good cheer. But then they say, the teacher is calling for you. Don't you love that? The teacher is calling for you. And so he springs up, he throws off his, his cloak, and he goes to Jesus. And can't you see the crowd making room for him as they step aside and he makes his way to Jesus? Then he comes face to face with Jesus, the Lord of heaven and earth. And he says, and, and Jesus says to him, gives him his full, undivided attention. And he says to him, what can I do for you? It's a powerful question. What can I do for you? You know, it, it should be obvious to Jesus that he wants to see. But Jesus doesn't presume to know what he needs. You know, often we think we know what other people need and what they want from us. But Jesus allows him the dignity of asking. And so he says, Teacher, I want to see again. Which tells us he was not born blind. You know, he was, he was sighted at one time and something has happened that he has become blind. And so he asks Jesus, I want to see again. Now what a difference between James and John and the blind man. James and John ask for positions of power and authority. And in fact, they don't just ask, they demand of Jesus. But the blind man asks for mercy. And in this case, the answer is yes. And so Jesus heals the blind man. And then he says to him, now, your faith has made you well. Go on your way. But the blind man does not go his own way. Instead, he follows Jesus on the way. Now, that language is very specific, on the way. So we can assume that he is following Jesus now all the way to Jerusalem, yea, even to the cross. This blind man who has been healed of Jesus, seeking mercy, is now following the way of the cross, going with Jesus. It is a powerful question, what can I do for you? We ask it often. It's as easy as saying, good morning and how are you? But when we ask it in the spirit and in the name of Jesus, it becomes a question for Christian ministry. It opens floodgates for mercy. 
it opens opportunities to say, come, he is calling for you. It's a wonderful question to take with us. And so as we make our way, also on the way to the cross, denying self, carrying our cross, each day we go about the regular events of our day, but this question can go with us and make all of life ministry. We can take this question into our workplace, into, our, into, our, into the marketplace, into our school, into our dorm room, but it means that we must be listening for those cries for mercy those silent cries even, that we be attentive, attentive to those who are around us. And you know, this question carries us into our homes, into our families, into our living rooms, into our bedrooms, into our kitchens, as we say in one way or another with our lives, what can I do for you? Our lives together become ministry do you fall, do you get my point? <laughs> you know, Stuart and I will have been married 60 years. Can you believe that? <laughs> we will have been married 60 years, March 21st. It's coming up, and it hardly seems possible. We were just kids. And when we took our wedding vows back there 60 years ago, you know, I hardly knew what till death do us part. I was 18 years old. What do I knew, know about things like that? You know, what do I know about the promises that we are making? You know, we didn't write our own vows in those days. My father performed the ceremony. I'm sure he wrote the vow vows, they were traditional, and I'm sure I promised to obey. So <laughs> I'm glad you laughed at that, because that's a joke. If you know me, that's a joke. <laughs> um, but anyway, not, not to, no, I don't want to contradict my sermon here, though, now. <laughs> because, because through the years, as we have lived out our vows together, Somewhere along the line, they became infused with this question, what can I do for you? And then our, our, our relationship became characterized by mutual submission and by ministry to one another. You know, 60 years, there's a lot of opportunity for ministry and for loving care and for kindness and for sharing the love of God with one another. That's a long time, but that is the primary relationship in our lives. And so that is our most fertile field for ministry. Tuesday, I had my fourth, fifth, my fifth um, uh, chemotherapy treatment. I'm being treated for um, lymphoma, and it's a chronic case. So this is our third round, I think, Stuart, of chemotherapy. But through it all, I know that Stuart will be there with me. 
they're long days. My chemo takes six hours, long days. He takes his revelation um, uh, commentary to keep him company because I sleep part of the time, but he is there ministering and caring for me. And underneath it all is this question, what can I do for you? And you know, you may not know this, but Steve Fusselman works at the Cancer Center. In fact, last month he was my nurse. But Steve drops by to check on me and to talk with Stuart if I'm asleep. If I'm awake, he'll talk to me. And, you know, in the routine of his day, Steve is answering this, is asking this question, what can I do for you? He is ministering to our lives in the routine of his day. And so in the routine of your day, God places people in your way that need something of you, or at least need you to be aware that they have a need, to, be, to notice and to hear the cries for mercy. So this question takes us into forsaken and lonely places, it takes us into crowded places, like Walmart. You know, I, you, but I love the stories that Gene and, and uh, Wayne tell about, about ministering to people in the line at Walmart and asking them this question, what can I do for you? And often it leads them to places where they can say, come, Jesus is calling for you, come with us. You know, I'll pick you up. I'll meet you. I'll be there when you come to the front door. I love their stories. You know, and I love, Stuart was, you're going to think we've been sick the whole time we've been here, and we just about have between the two of us. When Stuart was in the emergency room, you know, and Kelly showed up and said, can I lead you in the Lord's Prayer? And so we said the Lord's Prayer together. You know, Kelly is ministering to our lives. Do you hear what I'm saying? Take this question with you. Listen, we may have to be a little more attentive and also a little more aware that we are, in fact, engaged in Christian ministry. When we ask this question in the name and the spirit of Jesus, we are indeed participating in the life of God. So we participate in the life of God. We empty ourselves. We deny self. We follow the one who came not to be served, but to serve. And even as he makes his way to the cross, where he will become a ransom for many, he stops on the side of the road and heals a blind man. That's the Jesus that we serve. That's the Jesus we follow. And so he calls us to follow him, to follow him wherever he goes. And it may take us to the side of the road. It may take us into our homes. It, may, it doesn't take, we don't have to look very far to see places who are in need, people who are in need of help, even in our own homes and in our own families. So in the name of Jesus, we are called 
to serve, not to be served, to count others as better than ourselves. And so we must, in order to do that, reject our world's views of power and privilege and status and instead be servants in the world equipped by Jesus to do ministry every day so that all of life, Steve, is ministry. I mean, not Steve, you're not Steve. So sorry, Jason. <laughs> so all of life becomes ministry. So we're going to have a time of prayer. It may be that you have come today with a cry for mercy, that you are crying out for Jesus to have mercy upon you. And there will be people here that can pray with you. So please come and pray. Or maybe you would like to ask someone near you today, what can I do for you? You know, or just knowing what's going on in someone's life, come and pray with them. Your life is being infused with that question, what can I do for you? So let's stand and sing our song. Amazing Grace. <laughs>